0: Have you ever met any famous people? I mean, really famous people. When you do, it's kind of a thrill. I don't know why it's a thrill. Maybe it's because it makes us feel more significant. But one of the famous people that I've met is Don Cherry. Now, Don Cherry and Ron McLean are the famous hockey commentators, TV hockey commentators, on Hockey Night in Canada, and they've been doing it together for decades. And uh, they're very famous in North America. Don Cherry is this boisterous, demonstrative extrovert. He wears these custom-made jackets that are spectacular. He must have a thousand of them. And and uh, Ron McLean is the straight guy. And uh, they're always bantering back and forth with one another. Anyhow. I was on my way to England a number of years ago in the Toronto airport, and as we're walking down the concourse, I see these two coming the way. I said to the people who I was with, hey, I think that Don Cherry and Ron McLean, I'm going to go introduce myself to them. So I walked up to them. By the time I got to them, uh, Ron McLean was standing at a kiosk paying for something. Don Cherry was just standing close by waiting for him. So I went up to Don Cherry and I said, hey, are you Don Cherry? Don Cherry. He said, yes, I am. I said, how do you do? My name's Ron McLean. And instantly, he looks over at the other Ron McLean. He says, oh, no, there's two of you. (laughs) So we had a good laugh. And I told them I was from Winnipeg. They said, oh, we're going to Winnipeg. And so anyway, it was a funny story. Meeting Don Cherry was a funny story. But it didn't change my life. Today, I want to talk to you about meeting someone who will change your life. In fact, he will, he will change your life every time you meet with him. I want to talk about meeting with Jesus. We are doing a series entitled Resurrection Encounters, and today we're looking at the Gospel of John, the very last chapter in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. So if you would turn there in your Bibles, please, and in your devices, John chapter 21. Now, if you are new to Christianity or you are investigating Christianity, let me just quickly paint a big picture for you. Jesus Christ at the age of 30 traveled around Israel for three years showing who God is and what God is like and demonstrating the kingdom of God coming to earth by healing people who are sick by freeing people who are under demonic oppression, by liberating people who were trapped to idolatry and, and, and other addiction issues, by showing people how to love God and how to love one another, and by making disciples who would do the same. Then, Jesus was killed on a cross after suffering horrible torture, But this was all part of God's plan. It was actually God's doing. Jesus suffered and died for you and for me so that we could be forgiven of our sin which separates us from God and brought back into a living relationship with the Creator. And it was mission accomplished. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. And at exactly 3 p.m. when the shofar was blown at the temple and the lamb was sacrificed, Jesus said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. The mission was finished. And he gave up his spirit to God the Father and breathed his last. His bloody, broken body was put in a tomb and everyone thought that was the end. The Romans were relieved, the Pharisees were happy and the disciples were devastated. But it wasn't the end, it was just the beginning. On the third day, the Bible says, Jesus rose from the dead forever, breaking the power of sin and separation from God and destroying every satanic power that would control and afflict people. And then, Jesus freaked everybody out by appearing and reappearing several times. And that's what we're going to talk about, one of these appearances today. John chapter 21. We're going to do the first 14 verses. Oh, by the way, you have a handout in your bulletin. You have some notes there with some blanks so you can follow along. Hopefully that'll be helpful to you. Let's read John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, And two others of the disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. Then he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your living word and we thank you for your living spirit and we thank you Lord that your spirit takes the word and you reveal Jesus to us and we're asking for that today we welcome you Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus we pray that you will touch our thinking you will touch our hearts And you will encounter us in a transforming kind of way. We ask this, Father, in the name of this Son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to share with you today, out of this chapter 21, seven desires that Jesus has for you. But today we're only going to do four. We're going to do part one. I'm just going to give you four desires that Jesus has for you. And the first desire that Jesus has is to meet with you. Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the Son of God, wants to meet with you. Why don't you turn to a neighbor and say, Jesus wants to meet with you. This is the third time Jesus has appeared in the Gospel of John and the seventh time in the sequence of Gospel events. And verse 1 tells us right away Jesus' desire to meet with us. Verse 1 says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again. And he revealed himself in this way. The first and obvious Thing this tells us is that Jesus Christ is alive. This is not some dead historical figure. Jesus is alive. He's not a belief system. He's not some kind of philosophy. He's not a set of moral rules. He's not a religion. He's a real person. And you don't just believe in Jesus. You meet Jesus. Have you met Jesus? When you do, your life changes. But when you don't meet Jesus, you end up in a Christian culture, going through Christian motions. And eventually, you drift away further and further from God. Maybe there's somebody here this morning, or you're listening on the live stream. And you're drifting. You know you never drift the right way. You always drift the wrong way. That's what drifting is. And you've drifted away. And you know it. Jesus wants to meet with you. And our kids. Our teenagers. Need to meet Jesus. If you grow up in a Christian home. In a Christian church. But you don't meet Jesus. Jesus. All you have is religious knowledge and Bible stories. Without meeting Jesus, we're like whitewashed tombs. We look good on the, on the outside, but on the inside, we're dead. Jesus desires to meet with you. And when you meet Jesus, everything changes. You come in contact with eternity you meet pure love, pure beauty, pure joy, and you can never be the same. When the prophet Isaiah met God, he was never the same. He said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. When the apostle John met Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet as though he were dead. Revelation 1 says, when Simon Peter met Jesus, he fell down on his knees and said, depart from me. I'm a sinner, oh Lord. When you meet Jesus, you are never, ever the same. Some of you might remember a little Indian pastor who visited Winnipeg many years ago. We visited him in India in Hyderabad, and he came and visited us here a couple of times. He's just a little guy. His name was John Babu. And uh, John was a police chief in Hyderabad, India. He was a Hindu and he was an alcoholic. And he went into a Hindu temple one day in a drunken state to pray. And while he was in the Hindu temple in the drunken state, he met the risen Jesus. He had a vision. And he came out of that Hindu temple sober and saved. And he was never the same again. He ended up leaving the police force. He became a pastor. He saw incredible miracles. God used him to plant churches. He raised the dead. He opened blind eyes. We met one of the ladies whose blind eyes were open. An old Indian lady. She was totally blind. And he prayed for her and her eyes were opened. When you meet Jesus, you are never, ever the same. The second thing this verse 1 tells us is that Jesus is in control, not us. Verse 1 says, Jesus revealed himself. The Bible says we can seek God, we can draw near to God, we'll find him, he can draw near to us, but we are not in control of Jesus revealing himself. Jesus is. And you have to give up control. If you want to meet with Jesus. And right there. Is a huge issue. Giving up control. That's the whole issue. With being filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's an issue of control. If you want to stay in control. Then you push the Holy Spirit out. But when you surrender, which is what true worship is, when you surrender and say, oh, Lord, take me over, and you let him have control, then everything changes. We don't meet Jesus on our terms. We meet Jesus on his terms. Do you need to meet Jesus today? I don't mean just praying a prayer at the end of the meeting. That may be the beginning of meeting Jesus, but I mean, do you need to meet the risen Jesus this morning? Maybe you're in the Christian culture going through the motion, trying to be a good person, but you've never met goodness itself. Jesus desires to meet with you. Maybe you feel like a whitewashed tomb. You look clean on the outside, but you know you're dead on the inside. Maybe you have an addiction to pornography or perversion of some sort, or food or people's approval or work or perfectionism. You believe in Jesus, but you're trapped in some kind of bondage and shame. Jesus desires to meet with you this morning. And maybe you need to meet Jesus again because you've grown distant and you're thirsty for his presence. Jesus desires to meet with you. Meeting Jesus is what resurrection encounters is all about. And every time we meet Jesus, we are never, ever the same. Well, verse 2 and 3 tell us Simon Peter dragged six of the disciples when they were on the late, up in Galilee, and they went fishing. Sometimes when we don't meet Jesus, we go back to our old ways. Sometimes when we're discouraged or disappointed or we become impatient, we go back to old habits. And this is what Simon Peter did. He went back to fishing and he dragged six of the other disciples with him. Simon Peter is one of the most colorful characters in the New Testament. He's the son of Jonah or John. He's the brother to Andrew who was a disciple of John the Baptist and who actually introduced Peter to Jesus. Both Peter and Andrew were from Bethsaida, but they were living in Capernaum. Both towns were on the Sea of Galilee. The Bible tells us Simon Peter was married, and he was a hard-working businessman, just like some of you. And he was a fisherman. He owned a fishing boat. He had hired servants, and he had a partnership with the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And Simon Peter was a man of action, courageous, outspoken, enthusiastic, opinionated, and He was impulsive. He often put his foot in his mouth. Can anybody relate to Simon Peter? Not that you're going to admit it. (laughs) Oh, but Simon Peter had one profound redeeming quality. He was honest. He was honest. He would blurt things out. He wasn't hiding things. He wasn't in secret. He was just as honest as he knew. He wasn't as honest as he could be. But he was as honest as he knew. And honesty is the one quality for meeting Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't meet in phoniness. He can't. He's reality. He's the truth, the life, and the way. He is reality. And when we meet with Jesus, we have to be honest. You know, it's not your sin that keeps you from Jesus. That's a lie. Jesus has dealt with everybody's sin completely, totally. What keeps us from Jesus is not turning to Jesus. Jesus can deal with anything. But if we don't turn to him, all bets are off. If we just turn to him, whatever state we're in, whatever we're dealing with, if we just keep turning to him, we will meet with Jesus. And Jesus will deal with the things that actually keep us from growing in him. When Simon Peter first met Jesus, everything changed. He actually gave Simon Peter a new name. He called him Cephas which is the Aramaic and Peter is the Greek and it means the rock and the reason Jesus gave him a new name when he met him is because Jesus had a plan for his life and he has a plan for your life and when we meet him everything changes. And then Jesus calls Peter. This is so cool, the way Jesus calls Peter. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Peter's been fishing all night, and he hasn't caught anything. And as the early morning comes, he goes back to the shore, and there's Jesus. Jesus has gathered a crowd, and Jesus is preaching to the crowd. And the crowd's so big, he has to get into Peter's boat. So he gets in Peter's boat and they push out a little ways from shore and Jesus preaches to the crowds on the beach because you know how, how good water is at carrying our voices. And after Jesus finished preaching to the crowd on the beach, he says to Peter, Peter, push out into the deep for a catch. And Peter says, Jesus, you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I fished all night. There are no fish in this part of the lake right now. And then Peter says, but at your bidding, I'll throw the net. And when he throws the net, he gets such a massive catch. He has to call his partners, the Zebedee brothers, and their boat, and the Bible says they filled both boats with so much fish, the boats were sinking. Sinking. And Peter has a revelation. He's just met Jesus. He falls to his knees. He says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, no, don't be afraid. I can deal with your sin. You're going to be catching men now. And then verse 11 makes this amazing statement. It says, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. And followed Jesus. Can you imagine the conversation Peter had with his wife that morning when he got back from the beach? Hey honey, how was the fishing? It was amazing. Oh, and by the way, dear, I've left everything and I'm following Jesus. You what? (laughs) Oh, however, it worked. Whether Peter took his wife with him, whether they went away for months and came back, I don't know how it worked, but however it worked, they left everything and followed Jesus. Peter became one of Jesus' closest friends. He was the first to confess Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus said to them, hey, who, who do people say that I am? They said, oh, people think you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. And other people think you're Elijah and Jeremiah and one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, but Who do you say that I am? And Peter makes this amazing statement. He said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. Blessed be you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Peter became a spokesman, unofficial spokesman for the 12. It was Peter who said, Lord, how often should my brother sin against me? Seven times seven? Jesus said, no, 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 no. 70 times seven, 409. It just is unlimited. You have to keep on forgiving. Peter says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? And Jesus said, oh, when I sit on my throne in glory, you're going to sit on 12 thrones with me. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember Jesus is glorified. He's brighter, shining brighter than the sun. And Elijah's there and Moses is there. Peter's so excited. He can't contain himself. And he says, Lord, Lord, it's so good we're here. Let's build three tabernacles so we can dwell here. And God the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter Peter was the one who walked on water. Lord, if it's you command me to come to you. Peter was the one who rebuked Jesus and corrected him for speaking of his death. Peter was the one who attacked the mob with a sword and cut off the high priest's slave's ear. Peter was the one who boasted he would never forsake Jesus, even if all the others did. And Peter was the one who denied Jesus and betrayed him three times. And Peter was the one who went out and wept bitterly. And it's this Peter who's in the boat this morning in John 21. And they see this figure on the beach. Verse 4 to 8 says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus calls out, Children, do you have any fish? No. Cast the net on the right side of the boat. And they took in this huge catch of fish. The Bible says they were large fish. That word is mega. Big, big fish. 153 of these fish. Now, you know, people try and find lots of hidden meaning in this number 153. The... early church fathers, they they really were into numerology and and mystery and secret meanings of things. And and Jerome claimed that there were 153 species of fish, therefore this was a symbol of complete salvation. However, there's 32,500 species of fish, so... That one was out. Augustine noted that the the numbers 1 to 17 added up to 153. And 17 was made up of 10 plus 7. The Ten Commandments and the seven spirits of God. Gregory the Great multiplied 17 by 3, which is the number of the Trinity, to get 51. And then he multiplied 51 by 3, which is perfection, to get 153. Do you get the hidden meaning? And then others, they broke down the number seven to be four plus three. The four walls of the new Jerusalem plus the Trinity. Can I tell you what I think the secret meaning is? I think the hidden meaning of this is there were 153 fish. Fishermen count their fish. Dave Soretta, how many fish did you catch? I don't know. They never say that. You ask somebody who fish, they never say, I don't know how many fish I've caught. They know exactly how many fish they've caught. And they know exactly how big those fish are. And that's what was going on here. It's just 153 mega fish. It was an extravagant offering. And it takes us. To the second desire of Jesus. Jesus desires not only to meet with you. Jesus desires to bless you. Oh bless you. And notice. The catch was at Jesus bidding. It's in obedience to Jesus word. That's why the hearing God seminar is so foundational and so important. We want every single person, children, teenagers, everybody, great-great-grandparents, we want everybody equipped so that they are hearing God. So they can be obedient and experience the blessing God has. And what did the blessing do? It revealed Jesus. John says, It's the Lord. It's the Lord. God's blessings are not just to make our lives better, they're to reveal Jesus to us. And then look what Peter does. This is my favorite line in the whole passage. Verse 7. It says, Peter threw himself into the sea. Peter couldn't wait to get to Jesus, he was so passionate. He had wept so bitterly. He had disappointed himself so profoundly. He realized, and this is part two, we'll come to next time I preach on this, we'll talk about Peter and what was going on in his life. But, but Peter was just so passionate to get to Jesus. He couldn't wait. He put on his garment and he threw himself into the sea. Peter wasn't caught up with the blessing. He was captivated by the blesser. Judas had betrayed Jesus and he hung himself. But Peter had betrayed Jesus and threw himself into the sea to get to Jesus. He threw himself on Jesus' mercy and Jesus' forgiveness. And so can you. Oh, the enemy wants to keep us from Jesus with shame. I don't know how many people say, no, no, I can't. You know, I can't. I'm too bad or I've done this or I'm, do, I'm too I'm distant. It's always two, two, two. But Jesus is not saying any twos. Jesus is saying, no, come to me. Meet with me. I want to meet with you. I want to bless you. One, Judas turned to himself. Peter turned to the Lord. And that's the difference between heaven and hell. It's either turning away or turning to this person called Jesus. Jesus desires to bless you exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we can ask or think, Ephesians 3 verse 20 says. But it has to be at his word. It has to be at his bidding, according to his word. And when we obey Jesus' word, we experience his miraculous provision. You know, Jesus wants to bless you financially. But it has to be according to his word. And His Word says, "Give, and it shall be given unto you." Luke six. So generously, and you'll reap generously. So sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. In Matthew ten, the Bible says, "If God speaking, He says, if you will just give me the first tenth of all your income, just one tenth, test me in this, and see, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out more." More than enough. That's the heart of God. He wants to bless us. Jesus wants to free us from the love of money. You know, I brought this up twice and I brought it up with Judas. I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to bring it up again. The Bible says in First Timothy, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You see the love of money everywhere. Everywhere. Pornography industries is the love of money. the drug industry is the love of money. Advertising is the love of money. It's just the love of money, and Jesus wants to free us from the love of money to the love of God. So He can bless us. You probably haven't heard of a fellow by the name of Ray Johnson. Anybody heard of Ray Johnson? Not Bill Johnson. Everybody's heard of Bill Johnson from Bethel. Ray Johnson has got a church a few hours away from Bill Johnson. He actually has one of the largest churches in California. And Ray Johnson, when their church was several thousand people, he said, we experienced an incredible miracle. The spirit of sacrificial generosity came on our church. He said it was unbelievable just this supernatural grace to be sacrificial and generous in every direction. He said our church exploded. It went from several thousand to 17,000 people. And they had to build a new building. They had to build a bigger facility. It which cost tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars. So they had a building campaign. Well, one day during the building campaign, the secretary comes into Uh, Ray Johnson's office and she's got a bag full of coins and crumpled up bills and she's got a note and she's crying. She says, Pastor Ray, you've got to read this. This bag was full of coins and crumpled up bills and here's this note. Pastor Ray reads the note and the note says this, Dear Pastor Ray, we really, 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 really wanted to go to Disneyland. So we saved all our money. But when you said we needed a new building, we felt Jesus tell us to give this money to the new building rather than going to Disneyland. So we pray God will bless it. And the note was written by a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. Well, now Ray's crying. He calls in all the staff. They go through it again. The staff is crying. They say, we got to share this on Sunday morning. So the next Sunday, they had a PowerPoint of the note from the five-year-old and the seven-year-old, and they shared it in every service. They had multiple services. Everybody's cheering and clapping. But in the 11 o'clock service, there was an executive from Disneyland sitting there. And he heard this. And he was so moved. First thing Monday morning, he calls the office. He talks to Ray. And he says, Ray, that story you told about that five-year-old and seven-year-old. Can you give me the parent's phone number? So he gives him the parent's phone number. He calls the parent's. He says, look, I heard what your kids did for this building program. Here's what Disneyland wants to do for you. We want to give you a whole week at Disneyland, staying in a Disneyland resort hotel right on the property, and the whole VIP treatment all for free. Well, those that five-year-old and that seven-year-old, they couldn't believe it. They were jumping up and down, cheering, clapping, and then they said to their parents, Mom and Dad, what else can we give away? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus wants to bless you, but it has to be at his word. The third desire that Jesus has is to partner with you. In verse 10, Jesus says, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. The disciples didn't catch any fish. Jesus caught the fish. Jesus commanded the fish to come to the right side of the boat. He commanded the fish to get in the net. All the disciples did was drag the net to shore. But Jesus says that you Have caught. What a beautiful picture of Jesus' partnership with us. Jesus desires to partner with you, God and little me. And the first way he does it is through prayer call to me, and I will answer you, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. That's the partnership in prayer. We get into trouble, we call, Jesus delivers us, we get free, he gets all the glory. It's a beautiful partnership. And he calls us to partner with him in making disciples. In Mark 16, verse 20, it says, So the disciples went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them, confirming the message by accompanying signs. We can't do it without Jesus, he won't do it without us. There's a famous African story about the elephant, the ant. This huge bull elephant with massive tusks. A mighty creature. And it had a little ant living up in its ear. If you look really closely, you can see the ant up in the ear there. And they used to do everything together. They would go through the jungle trails together. and The ground would shake and thunder. And one day they came to a swinging bridge and the elephant started walking across the bridge. <makes noise> <makes noise> <makes noise> <makes noise> and every time it put its foot down, the bridge would swing like that. And when they got to the other side, the ant tapped the elephant on the ear. He said, Mr. Elephant, you and me, we made that bridge swing. That's our partnership. Jesus, you and me, we heal the sick. Jesus, you and me, we raised the dead. Jesus, you and me, we shared the gospel. Jesus, you and me, we encourage people. We brought life to people. Jesus desires to partner. With you, And lastly, Jesus desires to eat with you. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. This is similar to John chapter 7 where Jesus said, come and drink. Here he's saying, come and eat, come and have breakfast with me. Jesus had prepared a charcoal fire, which meant he didn't just collect sticks along the beach. He brought charcoal, fish, and bread. Here we have the risen, conquering King of glory, the Lord of the universe, who has all authority and rule, and he's making breakfast for his disciples. He probably knew they were going to be tired and hungry. They'd been out all night. They hadn't caught anything. And so he makes breakfast for them. But more than that, Jesus wants to eat with them. And Jesus desires to eat with you. Eating means to commune, to share life, to fellowship, to koinonia, to participate in the light of Je- a life of Jesus and to have Jesus participate in our life. And that's always Jesus' desire, to eat with you. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 said, Jesus is speaking, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, let him open the door and I will come into him and eat. Eat with him. The King James Version says sup, but the, the ESV says eat with him. And there's nothing sweeter in life. Nothing more satisfying than meeting with Jesus. Ken shared last week, how do we eat with Jesus? We eat with Jesus in our devotions. We eat with Jesus when we read his word and study his word. We eat with Jesus when we pray and listen in prayer and when we journal and when we ask him questions and when we take the time to be with him. That's how we eat with Jesus.